Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. I am Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. And we are fly as hell, aren't we, Mike? I was waiting for you to do the other thing. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I like to change it up a little bit. But be, pre- you know, still predictable. At the same. Predictably. <laughs> I watched The Fly. Oh, uh, well, this is, uh, what, about a week ago? The original? Yeah, and it had Vincent Price in it. Um, TMC was, uh, or TCM was doing uh, like a Vincent Price marathon. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole bunch of, of different Vincent Price movies. You know, there's horror movies and whatnot, but, that I mean, he wasn't just limited to that stuff. So That's what he was pretty much, uh, what do they call it, typecasted as? Or not the, what would you call that, stereotyped or? Or typecast, yeah. Yeah. They're not typecasted. <laughs> I think I'm the only one that's ever used that word. No, typecast. you're not. It's, it's not the big Um Vincent Price has always intrigued me. I I saw the original uh, Waxworks movie way way back when it was re released in like nineteen eighties. Yeah, and I I don't know if I liked the movie then. Um, I thought it was I thought it was cheesy, but it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've but obviously you know with Michael Jackson's Thriller and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, Vincent Price is part of pop culture. You know his voice. His acting, his look, yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, he's such a part of pop culture that he was, you know, he was cast as a voice in the Thirteen Ghosts of Scooby Doo. Yeah, and uh, he's priceless. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, when you watch Vincent Price act, it depends on the character that he's playing, but. His mannerisms are really interesting. Yeah. Um. They're and and generally they're all the same. And it feels like, well, at least in the horror stuff. I mean, I think in the horror stuff it feels more genuine than the rest of the stuff uh, that he did when um, when he was an upcoming actor. Uh, his filmography is pretty tremendous. He was like in two hundred and fifty different movies. Isn't it like John Wayne also was in a ton of movies. Yeah, but because those back then they those guys were. Pumping out like four or five movies a year, weren't they? Yeah, but Vincent Price is in a lot more fucking movies than John Wayne. Um, he started in 1938. That was his film debut. And then, um, like, he did, like, so The Invisible Man, The House of the Seven Gables, uh, The Keys of the Kingdom, let's see, Dragon Wick, uh, Abbott Dr- and Costello meets Frankenstein. Yeah. The Three Musketeers, he played Richelieu. I think Betty Davis was the uh, lead in Dragon Wick, right? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Doesn't I'm not gonna click on that. Uh House of Wax came out in nineteen fifty three and then it was re released like thirty years later. <laughs> um The Son of Sinbad, wow. Uh The Ten Commandments. So The House on Haunted Hill, which is a Netflix thing that they're doing right now. Is that uh the haunting of Hill House? I can't Yeah, remember. it's something like that, yeah. Uh The Fly, The Return of the Fly, House of Usher, Pit and Pendulum, um uh, Movies like Rage of the Buccaneers. Look at this. This is, you know, 64, 65. Last Man on Earth. Yeah. Uh, which is a movie that I've already uh, reviewed. The House of a Thousand Dolls. Um, Spirits of the Dead. More Dead Than Alive. Uh, an Evening of Edgar Allan Poe. He played an narrator. Scream and Scream Again. <laughs> um, yeah. Madhouse. Which is, I believe, I believe that Anthrax did a uh, a, a song based on this movie. Um, called Madhouse as well, but I may be wrong about that. I'll have to look it up. Um, 
I, w- I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if that was based off of the movie because you know, uh, Scott Ian is a huge horror fan, yeah. huge Stephen King fan as well. <laughs> Obviously, you know, Michael Jackson's thriller, Bloodbath at the House of Death, The Little Troll Prince, which is an uh, animated movie, The Great Mouse Detective. Um, he And then he did a, a voice for... It was an Edgar Allan Poe thing that I had watched, and I had also done a review on it. And... Um, they used they used a bunch of different voices for it, and I believe that uh, Vincent Price's uh, voiceover was used as part of that. Oh, he did that. He was the voice of Edgar Allan Poe in Tiny Toon Adventures. <laughs> so you can see he was in the Muppet Show, the Bionic Woman, uh, Brady Bunch, uh, the Good Guys Get Smart. So Vincent Price was such an accomplished actor, you know, and he he's not British. It was a fake British accent. Huh. And you can tell it was a fake British accent. But the way that he did it, he pulled it off magnificently. It was it's his it's part of his character. Yeah. It's the way he was. And getting into the fly, um, he he didn't play the main character in the fly. He played he played a supporting role. So he played the brother of the main character, which is uh, a character named Andre Delambre. Uh, David Hedison. <laughs> Sounds like a rapper. Yeah. And um, Vincent Price plays his brother, Francois. So what happens... In, so the movie starts off at the end of the movie. Andre is found dead. His head and his arm has been crushed. Okay. Um, his wife, Helena, confesses to the crime. She refuses to provide a motive and begins acting strangely. In particular, she's obsessed with flies, including a supposedly white-headed fly. Vincent Price's character lies and says he's caught the white-headed fly in thinking he knows the truth. Uh, Helena explains the circumstances surrounding Andre's death. So we go back in time. And just like in, in the Jeff Goldblum movie, although I think this movie is, to be fair, I think this movie is, I mean, it's not as dark, but it, it's, in my opinion, it's more horrific, even though it's cheesy, Yeah. Uh, than the Jeff Goldblum version because... The circumstances leading up to the transformation, yeah, is all is all innocent. So Andre is is working in his lab, and he's working on a matter transporter device. It's called a disintegrator reintegrator or disintegrator integrator. And, Close enough. And he's testing it on small inanimate objects, newspapers, cookware, this and that. And then he shows his wife. He's like, "Look at this! This is amazing!" You know. Yeah. And as he's doing it, I'll get into the the whole story here. Um, he's showing her all this stuff that's going on, and she and she. So he puts a like a it's a plate in the transporter, and then he and he has his wife press the button, and it disappears. And she's like, "Oh my god, that's amazing! Where'd it go?" And so he pulls aside a curtain, and it's in another part of the room, and it's the same exact plate. So <clears throat> as he, he as he's testing all this stuff, he proceeds on to living creatures, which includes the family pet cat. Although it fails to reintegrate in the spot that he wants it to, you can hear it meowing somewhere. You don't know where it's at. So it could be in the walls. It could be anywhere, right? Like Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. And and a guinea pig. After you satisfy the test of succeeding, he builds a man-sized pair of chambers. One day, Helena's worried because Andre has not come up from the basement from the lab. So she goes down there to find that Andre has a black cloth over his head. And his arm is is in one of the, is in one of the pockets of the lab coat, and he's communicating with typed notes. He tries to tell her that he 
transported himself, but that a fly was caught in the chamber, which um, resulted in them mixing atoms. So now he has the head and the left arm of a fly, and his right arm. Now it's he's also um, a multi personality. So the fly part is battling with the human part of his head, the yeah. brain. So he's trying to tell her what's going on, and the fly part of him is trying to stop him from telling her so that it can complete its transformation, right? Yeah. So it gets to the point where <clears throat> Andre needs to capture this white fly so that he can reverse the process. So they're out searching everywhere for him, and nobody knows where it's at. Yeah. And that's where the help me, help me thing comes in at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, Did he ever find the cat? I don't know. God damn it. So she can't find it, and and Andre is is uh, deteriorating. And Andre, the Andre person is deteriorating, and the fly's taking over. I'm getting better. And it gets to the point where he's miming what he wants her to do. Yeah. So he he writes this message on a chalkboard that says, you know, I um, I'm okay, but the fly's taking over. You need to kill me. Yeah. I love you. And then he shows her what he wants her to do. So he goes and he lies down in this fucking matter, in this press, this gigantic hydraulic press. Yeah. And he's pointing, he's pointing to a console. So he gets up from the press. He's like, he does, he basically says, smash me, right? Yeah. And points to a red button on the console, right? And destroy the proof <coughs> that, that, you know, so his wife won't go to fucking prison of him having a giant fucking fly's head. What? Well, if she crushes his head, then there's no real proof that it's he... cr- it's a crushed head. Of course, there's going to be proof. Yeah, it's it hasn't been dis- it's it hasn't been put to flame. Yeah. It's just crushed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're going to go. Oh, we can't. You know, we can't tell. You're you're under arrest. You can't murder. tell because there's two gigantic bug eyes sticking out of his head. Well, his com- entire head looks like a fly head. You ever saw what the Terminator looked like when it got crushed in the press? Yeah, it looked like a metal skull. Yeah. You can't, there, I mean, you would t- be able to tell that that's not a human skull or a human head or a human arm attached to the body. That's, but that's not the point. The body disappears. So that's why, that's why she's kind of under arrest because he disappears and, and as it's going along, um, they, the, the, Andre and his wife. So he's trying to tell her to do this. The fly's trying to tell him. The tries. The fly's trying to stop him from miming or doing anything. So he walks over to the press and puts his head down, and she presses the button, and it comes down. You don't see it, but you see the press chunk down, yeah. right? And then she walks over, and you can see the body slumped in the press, but you don't. See, I mean, you just see it like there's a there's a big beam in the way, like a a, a, a what do you call it? Um, a floor, a floor to ceiling beep. Yeah, that's in the way, but you can see his arm hanging there, and you know that he's dead. So she picks up the arm and puts it in the press just in case, and then goes back and presses the button again and crushes the arm. So she basically crushed the body twice. Yeah, right. And then she wait. She she goes upstairs. She wakes up the next day. Everything's good, and that's when the police come. <clears throat> then the son shows up. Now the son is is really young, probably seven or eight years old, maybe maybe a little bit older, but se- between seven and ten, and Francois, who's Vincent Price, says, you know, mommy has to go away for a while, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to keep the kid out of this, right? Yeah. And and they're ta- and he and the kid overhears the fact that they need to find this fly. He goes, I saw a fly. I saw it was a white fly. It's in the garden. 
So Vincent Price goes to the garden and he's with a cop because the cop's trying to arrest the wife. Yeah. And there's this whole, there's this whole. I think the best part about this movie is the conversation that the cop has with Vincent Price, which is about killing somebody. the The conversation is basically, we know that it's not the doctor. We know that it something happened, and we know because there's evidence that. He is not this this thing that she killed is not human. However, <laughs> she killed something. Yeah. So and it's inhabiting the the body of of Doctor Delambre. So therefore, she is going to be brought up on charges of murdering her own husband because it's his body. Yeah. <laughs> and as they are as 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 they're searching the uh, the grounds where the kids said they found a fly. It's in the spider web. Now, the, the help me, help me thing started with Vincent Price af- after, the, after the events of finding out that his brother is dead as the fly. He goes and he sits in the garden, and there's a spider web. It's obviously a fake spider web. It's huge, and it, but it's, it looks like it, um, uh, you, you know, something you can buy out of a fucking Kids store. Kids Halloween display. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you see the fly with this weird, you know, superimposed head on it. That's saying, help me, help me. That's where that comes from, right? Did it have one arm that was real, like a human arm? No, well, you couldn't really tell. I think it was because it was wrapped up. Okay. But, yeah, I believe so. And so there's a spider on the web, and obviously it's a fake spider. Yeah. Again, something you can buy at, you know, the Halloween store. So cut to the cop and Vincent Price are walking through trying to find this, this fly, and they find the spider closing in on the fly. Yeah. Right? And instead of, I mean, literally, the, the, the entire process takes like a minute for the, f- for the spider to move up to the fly to kill the fly. Yeah. Which is what happens. Spoiler alert. And instead of like killing the spider and saving the fly, the cop picks up a rock as, as the fucking spider bites the head of the fly, which is obviously not what they do. They, they bite into the body. Yeah. And suck the juices out of the body, right? Yeah, they usually inject something in there first to like um, liquid liquefy everything first, and then they drink it later. Right. Yeah. So he takes a rock and smashes both of them, <laughs> and then he's at then now he has he's in a quandary because he just killed a person, right? Yeah. And Vincent Price goes, "You just killed that man, and now you're and you want to arrest his wife for killing this thing that was supposed to be that was her husband, but is no longer her husband." So. So where's the integrity? Where's the ethic? Where, where's the ethics in this? Yeah, you killed this man to save his life, you know, and she kills this thing to save her life or his, you know, to to try to save his life. Yeah, and now we're in this this ethical quandary. They both got smashed. And yeah, yeah. I mean, literally. <laughs> yeah. And and the cop goes, yeah, that's a that's an interesting uh, question. I mean, there's no doubt that she killed that thing, but yeah. I also killed it and. And and basically, Vincent Price says you got to live with this guilt forever. Now, yeah, just do NFL rules, <laughs> and the penalties cancel each other out. Well, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much what it is. He goes, "All right, so uh, I guess what we'll do is we'll just say he committed suicide." I thought you were going to say he turns around and just starts whistling as he's walking away. <laughs> Why the fuck would he do that? Does that be funny? But it's not a it's not a it's a horror movie. It's not I know a comedy. I know. So it cuts to mm-hmm. she's now back to normal, and the kid goes. I would like to learn what my father's been doing. Can you teach me, Uncle, you know, Uncle Francois? And he's like, absolutely. And then that will lead into 
The Fly Part Son Two. Son of the Fly. <laughs> fly Part Two. Yeah. I think it's actually called the Son of a Fly. Um, or Superfly. Yeah, that's not what it's called. It's in the seventies. I um, uh, Return of the Fly, and then the Curse <laughs> of the Fly. Um, I, I uh, they had Cronenberg's uh, Fly um, on Blu-ray discounted, like for like five bucks or something at uh, at Best Buy, like a year ago or so. And I watched. I hadn't seen it in like probably a couple decades. And the movie's still effective, like when it comes to the effects and everything. But the story felt really rushed. Uh, it, it felt like he went through the transformation really, really quick, and there wasn't a lot of depth to much of it. I, I don't know. I think the movie was short too. I think the movie was probably like an hour and a half. It just, I don't know, kind of sped through things or something. I don't know. I liked it more when I was a kid. Say that again. Did I did I do the same thing that the movie did? Did I just rush through it? Yes. <laughs> the movie just felt very rushed, very incomplete. Like, um, it just went through the motions really fast of, um, what the fly to, uh, no, no, the, the, the Cronenberg from 86, um, with Goldblum. It, um, it just, the movie felt short and that it just, um, he, he, he transformed very quickly and then the movie was already over. It was like, what the fuck? It, it like, I, I don't know. It just didn't feel like there was time to develop much of anything in the film. It was where my opinion changed on it from when I saw it in the eighties. It, I, it happens. I mean, I've only seen it a handful of times. So, mm-hmm. uh, the, I, like I said, I thought the Cronenberg version. It, I mean, David Cronenberg is a wonderful director, but yeah. again, I mean, when you're doing when, when you're doing a remake of a of a movie that um, is basically just a three set movie, yeah, um, where it's mostly psychological and it tells a story from basically the perspective of of the the, the wife. Yeah, and this one tells a story from like the Gina Davis, you know, uh, uh, perspective. Yeah, um, I liked some of it. I, I mean, there were some, there were some moments. Yeah, definitely. That that were horrific. Oh yeah, remember the part where he arm wrestles the dude in the bar? Well, yeah, but I'm not talking more along the lines of his transformation in terms of, like like when he was eating oh, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, you know the the the, the arm wrestling thing. I. That's just there for for gross out stuff, yeah. which is fine. Don't get me wrong; I'm not shitting on that. Cronenberg, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Cronen Cronenberg's vision is such such an odd duck. I mean, what didn't he do? Naked Lunch was that him? I don't know. I've never seen it. He also did. Um, he did uh, um, a history of violence, which I I, I I love that film from 2005 um, with uh, Viggo Mortensen. Okay, first and there's and some gory shit in that movie. Some gory violence. Uh, scanners. I love scanners. I love Videodrome. He did the Dead Zone. The fl- yeah, he did. He did Naked Lunch. I always thought Naked Lunch was fucking weird and obscene and incredible existence. Spider History of Violence. Um, he uh, his movies are to the left of weird. Yeah, and not, I mean not all, but his horror movies are. And if you watch, like if you watch Scanners. <laughs> Yeah, like if that's your first, in, if that's your intro, and that was my introduction to David Cronenberg. Yeah, I didn't see that movie <laughs> all the way through until like a couple of years ago. And then Videodrome, and then he did Stephen King's The Dead Zone, and then um, I'm I'm in the Dead Zone. Uh, <laughs> dead Ringers. It's kind of dead. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and then Nick went so any cowbell in the zone. <laughs> so between eighty one and ninety one, he just did horror movies. Yeah, and. Um, but by far the weirdest movie he's ever done was Naked Lunch, and if you ever had a chance to see that, go see it. 
um, because I I totally recommend it. But his version of The Fly is, I think he was more uh, influenced by Alien than anything else, especially with the the transporter pods and whatnot. Yeah. And it's, it's transformation effects on Jeff Goldblum. Like, if you take Alien and The Fly... You could see the similarities between both movies where you have a strong lead female who has to fight this alien creature, you know, and defeat this alien creature. And and even though that the alien creature pops out, pops out of the chest of a guy in aliens or an alien, it's, it's relatively the same. It's, it's still a transformation. Yeah. And it's, it's the, the fly and alien are not dissimilar, um, it was a sign of the times. I mean, shit, it was only eight years between Alien and The Fly anyway. Yeah, and it came out the same year as uh, Ed Cameron's uh, sequel. Yeah, so when you have when you have something that, um, I mean, he, he tapped into the collective conscious of the people anyways, knowing that Alien was fucking supremely popular. Yeah. You know, especially with Aliens coming out, you know, that he, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he said, if we do it like this, then we're going to uh, we're going to capture this audience or at least if the st- maybe the studio said that if we do it like this we can capture this audience and the person to do it like that would be Cronenberg so that's how that's that's what i assume that's how he got involved with the fly you know cuz he's probably already interested in doing it and from there <coughs> do you ever see the I sequel mean, yes god damn i saw that in theaters and i was a, i was i was like 11 and fuck i i, I I liked it when I was eleven, and then, <laughs> then I don't, I don't remember how long later, but I watched it again, and I was like, God, this piece of shit! God damn, that was horrible. They, they they had Gina Davis die right at the beginning of the movie, and it wasn't even her playing it, right. playing the role. You know, she gives birth, and it's a normal looking baby. Because you remember in the dream sequence, the nightmare sequence in in the eighty um, six version, she gives birth to a maggot. You know, so um, but yeah, it's. Yeah, fuck that movie. Yeah. You know what, though? I'll tell you what. That movie makes Cronenberg's um, look even more awesome. Yeah, I mean, the the, the follow-up wasn't that great of a, of a film. It was a cash grab. It was a yeah. cheap cash grab. That's all it was. So um, I'm not even going to get into that shit. Um, I, like I said, I, I honestly believe that they approached Cronenberg because the idea that they had was very similar to Alien. Yeah. In that they wanted to, they wanted to introduce were reintroduce a character that was popular in in the 50s. Yeah. And when they can remake it and do it like that and I mean even the fucking poster was the same thing. Yeah. So oh shit dude there's uh that monkey cat deleted scene uh that that's some definite Cronenberg shit right there. Yeah. Let's see. A legendary and infamous sequence in which the desperate Brundle uh, uses the telepods to merge an alley cat and the surviving baboon together in an attempt to find a cure for his condition. However, the resulting monkey cat creature comes out of the receiving telepod terribly deformed and in <laughs> an unendurable pain. The creature attacks Brundle and ends up beating the two-headed creature to death with a metal pipe so as to end its misery. The sequence goes on to show the disturbed Brundle scaling the wall of his lab up to the roof only to feel a sharp pain in his left side. Um, specifically in the hernia-like bulge seen in the final cut of the film when Brundle first demonstrates his wall-crawling powers. He accidentally slips off the roof, slides down the wall, lands on a metal awning, and watches as a small fly-like leg emerges from his torso. Horrified by this new appendage, Brundle, Brundle amputates it with his teeth. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, God damn, it's longer than I thought it was. Holy shit, there's way more descriptions. Uh, dude, there's an entire thing that you, like, the second interview. I know, but the, the monkey cat was the interesting one. That's why I read it. I, but Butterfly I didn't know. Baby, other versions, film, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah of course. <laughs> it's like the part where uh, if you look closely in his uh, medicine cabinet where he's storing everything in jars that fell off of him, you see his, uh, his, balls, are, his balls are in a jar. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, do you recommend seeing the original fly? It depends on the person. You should play that sequence, the help me sequence. I bet mm. it's on YouTube. I bet it is, but help I don't care. Me. So, uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I think that everybody that's a fan of horror, uh, especially shocker theater and stuff like that, should take time to watch oh, yeah. any of Vincent Price's movies. Definitely. That's like uh, if you're a horror fan, you got to see the original Dracula and Mummy and, and you know, all the Korloff, or Karloff and uh, Lugosi stuff, you know. and Yeah. Hell yeah. Got to see the originals, man. You know, because you know, we wouldn't have what we have now if you didn't have it back then. So, all right, you good? Yeah, we're good. All right, stay fly, everybody. <laughs>